be John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Gospel of John. When you get there, say amen, all right? Yeah. Hey, usually Labor Day weekend's usually a lower attendance day, but we seem to have the opposite today. Um, praise the Lord for that. Amen. John chapter 2 says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. This is just three days after, basically around it, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Um, it says, In the third day there was marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, I mean, when they, you know what, they ran out when they lacked um, the wine. The mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Man, that'd be a great title for the sermon, huh? Woman, what have I to do with thee? wonder if I put as a title online if there'd be a lot of hits or if there'd just be a lot of hate mail just saying, what, what kind of title is that? Well, that's not the title today. Wait, he goes, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six waters of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. She uh, ends up being about 180 to 300 gallons. Um, Jesus said unto him, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast, called the bridegroom. He didn't even know who did this. He thought it was the bridegroom God had, had it already. Save unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Do we have any girls in here that want to get married one day? Anybody? Don't be shy. Any girls who want to get married? Any? Yeah, my daughter says she doesn't either. Okay, got a couple, a few. Okay, it's all right. I know you're not looking now. You know, you're probably thinking, man, there's, there's no boys that look like men yet in these years, huh? But you think about how you want your wedding, especially you know when they start becoming teens and 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 they just have their wedding how how they imagine they want it to be great, they want it to be beautiful and um, they, they 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 maybe have their decorations, they have their colors pick how they want it to be. Everyone wants their wedding to go smooth. That's where I kind of warned my wife about doing photography for weddings. Well, be careful for bridezilla. You know, and it's usually actually not the bride. I don't know why they call it bridezilla. It's usually some of the relatives. Um, maybe the mom. Um, maybe it's the aunts. Um, it's not usually the dads. Um, not usually. I guess it could be. 
But you want your wedding to go just right. Because you're hoping, that, for one, that this is going to be your only wedding. That you're going to get married one time. That's how it should be, right, kids? Get married once. Stay together, get married. Um, you know, I thank, thankful, um, um, thankfully for the blood of Jesus Christ, you know what, many people, you know what, that didn't happen with them, that didn't work out for them, and we have forgiveness, and we're able to be restored and everything. But I don't think anybody gets married with the intention of, you know what, we're going to get divorced in a year or two. Maybe some people may are like, that person has a lot of money, they're almost dead, I'm going to try to marry them to get their money. Sure, there may be some evil people like that with those kinds of motives. But you know, the wedding here is just getting started, and usually an Israeli wedding um, there would last seven days. It wasn't just a one-day celebration. But oftentimes it would start with um, the bridegroom and and, and his men go into the bride's house and um, getting her and, and then bringing her to his home where the celebration um, would be. And so it'd be a, a week-long event. So this was a special celebration. And also in Bible times here, it usually wasn't the bride's family that paid for the expenses. It was the groom's family that took the financial responsibility. Um, To run out of wine or food would have been an embarrassment to the groom's family. It would have been an embarrassment to really everybody. That here's this feast, here's this wedding, and then we're out. No brighton. Groom wants to run out of food at their wedding. They don't want, like, they're just getting started, and man, we ran out. No more to serve. Some commentaries have even said that if it's such an embarrassment did happen, that some in the bride's family may try to sue the groom's family because of the embarrassment. I don't know if that's so. I just read a couple of commentaries that said such. They didn't give any citations. Uh, so it's always good to have a citation um, where that is. But um, they may be, right, may be right about that. And we see that Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus responds to his woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now to us, Americanized culture That may sound offensive. But Jesus was more saying like, ma'am. You know, if we were equated in our vernacular. So he's not being disrespectful to his mother, but he is being abrupt. He is pointing something out and saying, woman, what have I to do with thee? And he's really talking about the situation, the, this wedding. Like, what does this matter to us? This, this wedding, this celebration. Now, usually the family and friends, they would be the ones that would be helping out, sir. And with Mary being so concerned, it looks like Mary was probably one of the ones in charge of helping facilitate um, the food and the wine or um, having some part in it. But Jesus is saying, you know what, this 
this really doesn't relate, this doesn't pertain to what I've been called here for. And so when he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? He's also putting her a little bit less than being, being calling her mother. And so Jesus is also pointing out that, yes, you know, at one time, Jesus was that little babe, the baby of, G- of Mary. And yet Jesus now is basically proclaiming, uh, assuming his messianic office, um, that he must now first and foremost be thought of not as the babe, the child of Mary, but as the Lord of Mary. That he was her God. That he was the creator. That they're now in a different relationship. That she is all others of humankind must now honor and obey him. That he had entered into the purpose for his mission on earth. Mary was now to recognize him not so much as the son that she had raised, but the promised Messiah. To recognize him as the Son of God. But it was in all likelihood that the reason Mary turned to Jesus here was that it appears that Joseph may have passed on by now. We don't see any mention of him anymore. And Joseph would have been older than Mary when um, they got married. And so very possible that he had passed away. And then the responsibility uh, financially and other things would fall on to the oldest son and caring for things. And so Mary is basically asking her oldest son, you know, Jesus, could we do something about this? This is going to be an embarrassment to the bride and the groom. This is, this is going to be terrible that we ran out of wine. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And this phrase constantly you read through the Gospel of John, but it's referring to Jesus' death and exaltation. He says, you know, my hour has not yet come. Um, And then later he goes, now it has come for um, the Son of God to be glorified. And so that it was not yet his time. And it also, um, since you look in the prophets, they characterize the Messianic age the time when Jesus would set up his kingdom for a thousand years, that when he would set up his kingdom, that there would be this outflow, there would be this abundance blessing of wine. That there would be plenty of it. That it would symbolize the joy, the gladness that there would be in the millennial kingdom. And so perhaps Jesus is telling Mary here, okay, you're talking about wine, but that time hasn't come yet. That first, the Son of God must suffer. That He must die before that blessing will come later on. Wine being emblematic of joy and gladness. Mary doesn't push Jesus anymore, but he tur- she turns to the servants and says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, is she expecting him to do some miracle? Some kind of amazing thing? I don't think so. Understand, Jesus has not done any miracles yet. He is not known as a miracle worker. 
But Mary says, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And so they say, she says, do whatever he says. And Jesus said unto him, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. They filled it up all the way. No, we get from this passage. Okay, Mary says, whatsoever he saith, do it. And what's Jesus saying do? To get water. To go get water. That doesn't make any sense at all. Nobody wants water for their wedding. They may have a small thing of water for maybe the few, the, um, the people that don't like the wine, but they want the water. Very few people. Usually they're going to want the blessing, especially at a time where water wasn't as sanitary, as clean. Doesn't make any sense. But you know what we need to learn as followers of Jesus? is to trust and obey. Even when we don't understand it. To trust and obey. We see it in the Bible that Abraham was told to offer up his son Isaac. It's a sacrifice. Abraham didn't understand that. He's like, like he could be thinking in his mind that you said Isaac was going to be the promised seed. But now you're saying offer him up as a sacrifice? We don't see him having that kind of attitude. He's not questioning God like that. We see in the New Testament revealing that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That he knew that, you know, if I trust and obey God, God already gave me this promise. You know what? There, there was other times where, you know what, I laugh. Yeah, I laugh at God, at his promise. But then he's like, you know what, I've learned. You know, this isn't a laughing matter. I don't know how, I don't know what, but God could raise my son from the dead. And then, if instead, what happens? There ends up being a substitute. That God would provide Himself a lamb. Not just providing a lamb for Him, He would provide Himself a lamb. And that's who Jesus Christ would be, would be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But Abraham was there ready to trust and obey, and then the angel said, no, you know what, God doesn't want you to do this. This, this was a test. Moses is commanded to hit the rock. Hit the rock? People are thirsty and I'm supposed to hit this rock? Makes no sense at all. Makes no scientific sense. He hits the rock and water comes out. The widow and her son in Elijah's time where they just have a little bit of oil on the cruise, just a little bit left. And then Elijah asked them to feed him first. They're about to die of starvation. She trusts and obeys, feeds this man. And then it doesn't run out. It continues. A miracle happens. Yeah, I know moms probably wish that would happen. Man, don't have to go grocery shopping. Just, man, hey, find me a man of God to feed. And then it just keeps coming and coming. <laughs> That'd be nice. I don't have to go grocery shopping anymore. <laughs> Daniel. 
Continue to pray when death was the sentence. Where that if anyone prayed to any god except for the king, that that man would be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel didn't listen to those orders. He continued to pray just as he did a four times, three times a day. He trusted and obeyed God when culturally it was not the relevant thing to do. Lesson they would all learn through obedience is that Jesus makes all things better. Understand that, children? Jesus! Jesus is the one that makes all things better. Jesus makes all things better. He takes the water. Tells them to fill the water pots with water. They filled it to the brim. And now he says, draw it out and bear unto the governor of the feast. Oh, the fright they must have had. It's just my imagination. But I'm imagining, okay, this man, whom I maybe did not know, they came from the Sea of Galilee to Cana. Don't know this man, but he says to fill these water pots up. Filled up with water. And now I'm going to give this to the governor of the feast, the one that's supremely in charge of the celebration. God, be out of your mind. Give water to him. Man, this is going to be trouble. Trust and obey even when it does not make sense to you. And again, understand the historical context of this is Jesus had not done one miracle yet. This was about to be his first miracle. You know, you read these different lost books, they say the lost books about Jesus, and that Jesus um, did these miracles as a child. All these different miracles that they'll talk about. You know, you just read the Bible, verse 11, it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. The Bible said, no, this is the first miracle he did. And those other books, those mystical books, they say like Jesus got, in a, um, got pushed down by some bully and Jesus zapped him and he turned to ashes. And yeah, no, that's, that's not Jesus. Okay? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. But the Bible wants to do all they can to discredit who Jesus really was. And in chapter 4, it talks about the second miracle that Jesus did. But we see that Jesus had transformative, creative power over the elements of life. Water. And in changing its chemistry. You need a volunteer. Any kids want to volunteer? Any kids? Do you have your hand up? Okay. Any kids? All right. You want to come on up? All right. Come on up. Okay, I need you to hold this, okay? You able to hold this, or is it too heavy? Oh! No, just kidding. All right, so Jesus said to turn, pour the water into the pots, didn't he? Go ahead and pour this in here. That's neat. Jesus, turn... <laughs> Turn the water and thank you. Remind me to give you a coin later too, okay? You can go ahead and sit down. But they say, brought it to the governor of the feast. They tasted it. 
And this wasn't just any kind of wine. This was good wine. This was the best wine. And the governor of the feast didn't even know what happened. He had no clue. The servants knew. Oh, they probably were like, oh, great. This does not mean my head. This guy is happy now. But Jesus has power over his own creation to transform it, to take it into one substance and to turn it into another substance. And the governor, if he's so excited, he told the bridegroom, you save the best till last. Most people, they do the best in the beginning, and then when they're well drunk, they start adding more water to it. They end up starting to um, make it not as strong, and then they... It's not as good, but people don't notice it as much because they have well drunk. Taste the water that was turned into wine. Now, what kind of wine is it? You know, Christians still debate about it today. You know, was it alcoholic wine? Was it non-alcoholic wine? And there's good Christians on both sides of the debate. Um, But just looking at the Bible, comparing the Scripture with Scripture, I'm fairly confident it wasn't speaking of the wine that Moses called the poison of dragons and and the um, venom of serpents. Um, It's probably not the type of wine that Hosea the prophet spoke of when he said, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. I don't believe the Son of God would have made the wine that Solomon called a mocker and called strong drink raging, and that whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I highly doubt it's the wine that the Bible says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Should have made purple, huh? <laughs> when it give of its color in the cup, when it move of itself aright. How about the fermentation process? At the last, it biteth like a serpent. So I don't think the Son of God was going to go make wine that it's going to be like that bite of like a serpent, sting of like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange woman, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Doesn't sound like something the Son of God would do. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mass. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. I don't think the Son of God was promoting something that would cause an addiction where that is they get drunk and, 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 and then they feel all beat and they wake up and yet they seek after it yet again. It most certainly cannot be the wine that the prophet Habakkuk warned, Woe unto him that give of his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him. So what kind of wine was it? I would guess that's probably the type of wine that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accept of thy works. Perhaps it's the type of wine referred to in the parable in Judges. Should I leave my wine with cherub, God, and man? Just maybe it's the wine that Moses wrote of. It's a blessing to Israel when he wrote, And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. Maybe it's similar to the type 
that Jesus said, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What kind of wine is that? I'll let you do your homework. I'll let you figure that out. All I know is that Jesus is the one that promises us an abundant life and has blessed His people with times of feasting and celebrations that Jesus is the one that makes the good wine. All I know is that Jesus makes all things better. Jesus has the power to turn water into wine. He has the power to transform dead men into men that are alive. Ezekiel 36, 24 says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Speaking to Israel here. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That Jesus, the one that turns the water to the wine, that he is the one that takes that stony heart out of a man's heart and gives him a new heart. He's the one that makes all things better. Man, you know, people may be in struggling marriages. Jesus can make it better. Jesus makes things better. That's the business he's involved in. It's making things better than what they were before. Second Peter 1.3 says, According as His divine power have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that have called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption as in the world through lust. Praise God! Take those that are in darkness... Take those that are down, that are full of sin, and He's able to call us into His glory to make us partakers of the divine nature that we see in the Scriptures. He turns the cursing sailor into one that would be as a rock in the church. That Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, would become Paul, the great evangelist of the church. Man, you imagine that. Man, you know what? When, when, Paul, when Paul showed up to church, people were afraid. This is the man that kept consenting to people's deaths. That he persecuted the Christians. That he compelled the government to bring persecution to imprison people. That person is now an evangelist for the church. An evangelist for Jesus Christ. Jesus makes all things better. He transforms men and women. You have the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery. The Pharisees questioning Jesus on it. You know, this woman is a sinner of sinners. Jesus starts writing in the sand. What did he write? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. No need to speculate. He doesn't say. But he was writing in the sand. 
And he said, he that have no sin cast a first stone. Some say he was writing their sins out. Again, can't really speculate. I guess you could speculate, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But they walked off. And Jesus told her, go and sin no more. Jesus is the one that's able to bring transformation. James and John called the sons of thunder. There is walking volcanoes who are always abrupt, careless. Saying, Lord, why don't we just call lightning and thunder and just consume these people? Jesus says, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. But then they later would become thunderous preachers of truth and yet filled with compassion and love. You read John's Gospel. Speaks over and over about love, the love of God. And 1 John writes about the love of the brethren, loving your brother. One that was pretty hateful before. Jesus turns that hate into love. And takes that aggression and channels it in you giving, having a, being aggressive about the truth. In Colossians 1.13, the Bible says, Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. They were delivered from the power of darkness. The power, the, the dominion, that sin and the devil has over us, that with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're able to be transformed into the kingdom of His dear Son. That the gospel light makes transformation. No longer dirty water, but now new wine. That Jesus transforms us. The drunkard and the drug addict freed from their addictions and are able to live a life of freedom with a sober mind. People steep in your new age and your witchcraft and yet have the gospel free them. To renew their mind, to transform their mind, to transform their destination for the person of Jesus Christ. That is in Psalm 103. The Bible says in verse 10, He have not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far have He removed our transgressions from us. Oh, what a blessing to have our sins able to be forgiven. To have our trespasses where we fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is there to reconcile us. Go ahead and turn to Revelation 21. And Sarah, if you could please maybe come and prepare Time of have a time of altar call. Revelation twenty one. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, the Bible says that the glory of Jesus was manifested and His disciples believe on Him. Jesus is in the business of making things new again. As the piano begins to play, I'm going to go ahead and read this scripture in Revelation 21. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. All heads bowed, eyes closed. Perhaps you feel the overwhelming guilt, conviction of your sin. Perhaps you don't know if you have eternal life. That you're not 100% sure that you'll be with Jesus in heaven. If you don't have that 100% assurance, well, no one else looking around but me, but raise your hand. If you don't know Jesus for sure is your Savior, but you'd like to make this be the day where old things are passed away and all things become new, raise your hand. Okay, by that testimony, perhaps everyone in here knows Jesus as their Savior. Maybe they're just wanting to give it some more thought. But behold, today is the day of salvation. I plead with you, you know, talk to me after services. If you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, and we'll show you from the Bible, you can have eternal life. Jesus makes all things new. You know what the blessing is for the Christian? I mean, when we stumble, we fall because of the flesh, the old nature that's still there, he's dead but He's still there. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just confess your sins to Jesus. You don't need to confess your sins to me. There's no priest that has the power to forgive sins except for Jesus. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Skinny says, Behold, I make all things new.
Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, you continue to transform us. Even as um, believers, as Christians already born again, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you continue to conform us into your image. What a blessing it is to see that the miracle you did, turning the water into wine, um, make it into something new. And that you'll give us a new heart, a new spirit within us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Help us, Lord, to spread that. Jesus said, turn that water into the wine to just be drunk by the governor of the feast but to be spread to everybody. And may we spread the gospel of the good news to everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. September 22nd, um, we have a youth rally that's going to be going on at Liberty Baptist Church in Fur Crest, Tacoma. So, if you have any teens and um, you'd like um, for them to go, it's going to be a good time. Um, here's some good Bible preaching and um, have some fun with activities as well. That's going to be on a Saturday on the 22nd. And remember, remember, we got Baptism Sunday on the